0: Why should the church always be reforming around the word of God? The Latin words semper reformenda are part of a well-known phrase, ecclesia reformanda, semper reformanda. And that came about in the 17th century. In English, it's translated the church reformed, always being reformed. And so semper reformanda means always reforming. Scholars have traced the origins of Semper Reformata to a devotional book written by Jokuhus van Lodenstein in 1674. Van Lodenstein was a minister of the Reformed Church in what is now known as the Netherlands. As part of the further Protestant Reformation, he advocated a Calvinistic theology and saw a need for the Church to reform according to the Word of God. Now, Semper Reformanda, it corresponded to the Reformation principle of Sola Scriptura, or scripture alone. And when Van Lodenstein penned the phrase, it was not about adjustments and improvements to the church's doctrine, worship, and government, nor was Semper Reformanda a call to innovate or to be relevant. Semper Reformanda calls the church to continually focus back on that which lasts forever, the word of the Lord. And advocates of Semper Reformatus saw the empty formalism and even the tradition as the great dangers of their day. The danger was creating a cultural Christianity where those who considered themselves Christians participated in a form of worship and subscribed to proper doctrine and yet did not have true faith, saving faith in Christ. Uh, Jesus warned against this and quoted the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15, 18, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the part of the church always needing reformation is the human heart and continual reformation must occur to return to the teaching of the Word of God. And so the slogan Semper Reformanda radically focused the church's decisions on Scripture alone. It questioned every proposal for change in light of the biblical warrant. Any reforming of the church must be done according to the Word of God. And so some even today use the phrase Semper Reformanda when making significant changes in their churches, especially when changing doctrine or other practices to adjust with the times this is particularly true regarding church policies on sexuality and other topics however this is an incorrect application of the phrase it ignores the historical meaning of semper reformanda one constant reformation must be ensuring that our hearts our lives and practices are being reformed according to the word in fact, the phrase Semper Reformanda, it echoes the sentiment of Psalm one nineteen one thirty three, which says, direct my steps according to your word, let no sin rule over me. So as we allow God's word to direct our steps, we will not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul says in Romans twelve two. And in this way, believers in the church can truly say Ecclesia Reformanda Semper Reformanda. Now, the year 2017 was the Martin Luther year. There, in 2017, we remembered the Reformation. We celebrated, but we must continue the Reformation. The Reformation is not a museum to be visited occasionally on a tour bus. It was and is a vital movement for truth and life in the Church of the Lord Jesus. And how should we maintain and even advance the cause of reform today? Well, some believe the answer to that question is, can be found in the slogan, Reformed and Always Reforming, as we're talking about today. We continue the Reformation by always reforming around the Word of God. The slogan is indeed useful if we understand it correctly. The problem is, as we've been talking about today, is that sometimes the slogan is used to justify the opposite of what it's originally intended as. Those who misuse the slogan end up saying something like this. The Reformation had to change things that were wrong in the church, and we have to continue changing things that are wrong within the church today. We have to make Christianity more understandable and even more relevant, meaning that we have to accommodate to the culture. We have to strip away empty formalism and legalism so that we can get on with the great work of evangelism and discipleship. We must always be reforming. Now, at first glance, the use of the slogan in that way may seem good. All of us want Christianity to be a vital understandable, and even evangelistic but too often, those who are reforming are in fact moving away from the Reformation and its great concerns about the Bible and justification by faith alone, by, about worship, about preaching, about the sacraments. They are simply uh, simplifying or minimizing Christianity in ways that leave out a great many of the concerns of biblical truth. Always reforming comes to mean increasingly conforming to the demands and the standards of the world. And such an approach to the slogan is not at all what it meant or what it should mean for us today. Now, the exact origins of the the slogan are obscure. We've already traced them, but the meaning is not. It was designed to make two critical points about who we are as Reformed Christians. The first point is that we are Reformed. We must remember that calling ourselves Reformed is in fact an abbreviation. The full statement is, we are Christians who have been Reformed by the Word of God. Reform means that the Word of God has changed us and purified us. We are still small Catholic Christians, which means that we accept the canon of the New Testament. After the ancient church, we accept the ancient definitions of on the Trinity and on the person and work of Christ. We, we are Augustinian in our soteriology, but we are also with the Reformers that the various traditions of the church— from ancient and medieval times, drifted away from the Word of God, and therefore had to be reformed or corrected by Scripture. And so when we say that we are reformed, we mean that the Reformation and that the Calvinistic wing of the Reformation rightly understood and applied the Bible to help purify Christian doctrine in the church and individual Christians. The great in- insights of the Reformation into the Word of God were summarized and even preserved in the Confession and the Catechism of the Reformed Churches. Those teachings were true and are still true today. They are a great, settled accomplishment of the Reformation. And so we still hold to them. And in that sense, We are still Reformed. Reformed is something defined by the confessions of the Reformed churches, which are still rightly subscribed to by uh, Reformed Christians. And yet we still recognize that every generation not only needs to learn again what it means to be Reformed, but every generation also needs to be about the business of always reforming. We need to always be reforming because we're sinners. We fail to understand. We fail to follow God's truth as we ought. We ought to recognize that the reformers were sinners and did not understand everything perfectly. And so we always want to reform ourselves and the lives of our churches by turning again and again to the word of God to allow it to reform us. Always reforming does not mean allowing our clever insights into the needs of our present world to change the biblical inheritance that we have received from the Reformation. It means turning, as the Reformers did, to the Word of God to allow it to change us. And one way in which we can see the need to reform ourselves is in the area of Christianity and culture. John Calvin was convinced that the church should always influence culture by being legally established by the state and having the state outlaw false religion. Well, today, most Reformed Christians believe that the Bible teaches something very different about church and state, about Christ and culture. Many American Christians are understandably concerned about the great moral and the intellectual change taking place in our culture. Decades of secular education, liberal media, and immoral entertainment have combined with other forces to lead many Americans into a post-Christian way of thinking and living. And as citizens, American Christians are right to recognize the dangers in these developments and to seek cultural alternatives. We must be careful, though, not to confuse these cultural concerns with the gospel. The gospel is itself not a cultural program. The gospel certainly has cultural significance and even implications. But the Christian gospel can flourish in any culture, from pagan uh, Rome to Islamic theocracy to Communist tyranny, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness, has conquered sin and death for his people, is building a new humanity for those who repent and believe in Christ alone. We learn about that the gospel and the life of the new humanity produced by that gospel in scripture. Always reforming means always returning to the scriptures to be changed and to grow in his grace. It's a passion to know, to love, and to live out the word of God. In fact, a closer examination of the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20, it really illustrates this point for us. This important passage has often been claimed by, by those who misuse the slogan, always reforming to justify their innovative and reductionistic approaches to modern church life. But when we look at the words of Jesus, we see clearly that he did not say, do whatever will advance the cause of evangelism. So what did we say? what did the Lord say there? First, we see in the Great Commission that Jesus is instructing those who were his disciples and his apostles, those who worshiped him, even if they had some doubts. He intends to prepare them for the work to which he is calling them. He is truly giving them the program for the church that he wants them to pursue. Second, he makes a clear statement about himself. The disciples were serve Jesus correctly and faithfully only when they know who he is. He's not just their teacher who died and rose again from the dead. He is supremely their Lord. His resurrection does not just mean that he is alive again, but he is glorified as the ruler of kings on earth, as Revelation 1.5 says. All authority is given to him so that he can indeed build his church, and, and no forces, temporal or spiritual, can stand against him, as we see in Matthew 16.18. His authority guarantees the success he intends for his church. Third the disciples are charged to make disciples. Their commission to make disciples is for all the nations. They're not limited to Israel or the Jews, but are commissioned to take the good news to the nations. But what does it mean to make disciples? Which is another way of asking, what does it mean to preach the gospel correctly? Well, Jesus' commission has two parts, namely teaching and baptizing. The apostles must teach the truth about Jesus to make disciples. The preaching and the teaching work of the church, and especially its official leaders, is necessary for making disciples according to the Lord. The the commissioned disciples must also baptize. The Great Commission requires the sacramental ministry of the church as well as its teaching ministry. Baptism is the sign and the seal of the disciples' new life and new identity in Christ. Fourth, Jesus specifies what the disciples are to teach. And this point is important. Jesus authorizes no minimal summary of his ministry. New disciples are not made by select parts of his teaching. Real disciples want, they deserve, they, they must have all of his teaching. Real biblical disciples are eager for the fullness of the revelation of Jesus contained in the word of God. Fifth, Jesus assures his disciples That they, as they are to carry out his commission, he will always be with them. His authority, his lordship will not forsake them. Success does not need to be manipulated because that is assured by the presence and the blessing of the Lord. So the Great Commission is indeed the program by which the church must operate. But we must not use the Great Commission as a slogan to justify any approach to evangelism. Jesus did not commission his church to evangelize according to its wisdom, but according to his teaching. The Great Commission is part of his word, and it must always reform us. Sometimes in history, the church goes into very serious decline in doctrine or life and must be reformed thoroughly. At other times, Christian may be frustrated with the rate of growth of the church and even assume that drastic reform is needed. Only a close examination of the word of God can help us determine that which is true. Where reform, according to the word of God, the whole word is needed, we must pursue it vigorously. And on the other hand, where the church is faithful, she must preserve patiently and wait for seasons of of richer grace from the Lord. Luther said of his reform, the word did it all. And so of all the good continuing reformation, we must say the word must do it. Now, if you've been in Protestant circles for very long, whether conservative or even liberal, you may have heard the phrase, reformed and always reforming, or sometimes just always reforming. You hear of it a lot today, especially since it's Reformation a month, from friends who want our Reformed churches to be more open to moving beyond the faith and to practice what is confessed in our doctrinal standards. Even in Reformed circles, various movements have arisen that challenges these standards. How can confessions and catechism written in the 16th and the 17th century guide our doctrine, our life, and our worship in the 21st century? Well, liberal theologians frequently invoke this phrase to justify their captivity to the spirit of the age. But some conservative Protestants also use it to encourage a broader definition of what it means to be Reformed. But we need to understand as we started at the beginning where did this phrase always reforming according to the word start. Well its first appearance was in a 19 or in a 1674 devotional by Jodas van Lodenstein. This man was an important figure in the Dutch Reformed Pietism, a movement known as the Dutch Second Reformation. According to these writers, the Reformation reformed the doctrine of the church, but the lives and the practices of God's people always needed further reformation. Von Lodenstein and his colleagues were committed to the teaching of the Reformed Confessional and Catechism. They simply wanted to see that that teaching became more thoroughly applied as well and understood. And so here's the whole phrase. The Church is Reformed and always in need of being Reformed according to the Word of God. The verb is passive, the church is not always reforming, but always being reformed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And although the reformers themselves did not use this slogan, it certainly reflects what they were up to, that is if one quotes the whole phrase. And each clause of the phrase is critical. First, the church is reformed, and this should be written with a capitalized R, REFORM. If, if that is true, that Jesus rose from the dead two millennia ago in Palestine, then it is true in our time and in our place. The economical creeds confess the faith that we will all share across all All multitude of cultures and era. Similarly, the Reformed standards, such as the three forms of unity, the Westminster Confession and Catechism, or the London Baptist Statement of Faith, summarize what Reformed Christians believe to be the clear teaching of the Word of God. Churches will always be changing in significant ways, depending on time and place, but these communal ways of confessing Christ remain faithful summaries of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, as we see in Jude 3. Our forebears who invoke this fray has in mind the consolation of Catholic and evangelical Christianity embodied in the Reformed uh, Confessions and Catechism. And there is a reason that this wing of the Reformation called itself Reformed. Unlike the Anabaptists, Reformed churches understand themselves as a continuing branch of the Catholic Church, and at the same time, the Reformed want to reform everything according to the Word of God. Not only our doctrine, but our worship and our life must be determined by Scripture and not by any human whim or creativity. It is a mainline Presbyterian theologian, Anna Case Winters, who brings attention to what she calls our misused model. Winters points out that in the 16th century context, the impulse it reflected was neither liberal nor conservative, but radical in the sense of returning to the root. This was reflected in the rallying cry sola scriptura by scripture alone. The reformation had no interest in change as an end in itself as Calvin argued in his treatise the necessity of the reforming of reforming the church. The reformers were charged with the innovation when in fact it was the medieval church's innovative distortions of the Christian faith and worship that required a recovery of apostolic Christianity. Rome pretended to always be the same, but it had accumulated a whole host of doctrines and practices that were unknown to the ancient church, much less to the New Testament. And some people today use the phrase "reform" part or at least to interpret it as reformed little r. The church is always being reformed according to the word of God. Now, that means that to be reformed is simply to be reformed, and to be reformed is simply to be biblical. All who base their beliefs on the Bible are therefore Reformed, regardless of whether their interpretations of their beliefs are, are Reformed, uh, or consistent, I mean, with the common confessions of the Reformed churches. However, this runs counter to the original intention of the phrase. Doubtless, there are many beliefs and even practices that, that Reformed believers share in common with non-Reformed believers committed to the Word of God. We must always remain open to correction from our brothers and sisters in other churches who have interpreted Scripture differently. And yet, Reformed churches belong to a particular Christian tradition with its own definition of faith and practice. We believe that our confession, our catechism, faithfully represent the system of doctrine found in the Word of God. We believe that to be reformed is not only to be biblical. To be biblical is to be reformed. And as important as it is to keep reformed in the phrase, an even more dangerous omission is often found among more liberal Protestants who also leave out the according to the Word of God clause. And usually it is always reforming instead of always being reformed. And so in that view, the church is an active party, determining its own doctrine, its own worship, its own discipline, in light of the ever-changing cultural context. There's a word for that. That's cultural accommodation. That's accommodating to the world. That's caving to worldliness. Progressivism has become an end in itself, and the church becomes a mirror of the world in that view. And yet, those of us in confessionally reformed churches must also be aware of forgetting that our doctrinal standards are subordinate to the word of God. Christ's church was reformed by God's word in the Reformation in the post Reformation era. It was brought back to God's word, and the fruit of that great work of the Spirit continues to guide us through our confessions and our catechism. And yet, the church is not only reformed, it is always in need of being reformed. Like our personal sanctification, our corporate faithfulness is always flawed. We don't need to move beyond the gains of the Reformation, but we do need further reformation. But here is where the last clause kicks in always being reformed according to the Word of God. It's not because the the culture is always changing and and why we need to be up with the times, but because we always are in need of being reoriented to the Word that stands over us, individually and collectively, that the church can never stand still. It, It will always be a listening church, Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Personally and corporately, the church comes into being. It's kept alive by the hearing of, of the gospel through the preached word of God. The church is always on the receiving end of God's good gifts, as well as his correction. The spirit does not lead us apart from the word, but directs us back to Christ as he's revealed in scripture. We always need to return to the voice of our shepherd, the same gospel that creates the church, sustains and renews it. Our personal conformity to the word that Paul commands in Romans 12 is never complete in this life, and the same is true of the church in our own day as well. And this perspective, it keeps us from making tradition infallible, but equally from imbibing the radical Protestant obsession with starting from scratch in every generation. When God's word is the source of our life, our ultimate loyalty is not to the past or or such to the present and the future, but to that word above all earthly powers, to borrow from Luther's famous hymn, neither neither behind us nor ahead of us, but above us reigns our sovereign Lord over his body in all times and all places. And so when we invoke the whole phrase, the church reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God, we confess that we belong to the church and not simply to ourselves and that this church is always created, always renewed by the word of God, rather than by the spirit of the age. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this week's Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe,